to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start finish and publish your book i'm mark stay and i'm mark devoe and before we dive into this exciting episode this week we'd like to thank our sponsors pro writing aid the official editing software of the bestseller experiment pro writing aid is so much more than a grammar checker it's a style editor writing mentor all in one package. And what's more, ProWritingAid integrates with Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you folks. So as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. So pop along to ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. Mr. Stay, rumor has it you finished a book. Yes, yes. I'm a slow reader. Oh, sorry. You mean, um, yes. No, I, uh, I, I typed those sweet, sweet words, the end, just yesterday, actually. It's the second book in the series that I can't talk about yet. Um, but it's, um, it's 66,000 words. So pretty much the same length as the first one in the series. And I did that in 64 days, which is probably a personal best new world record for me. And it's, um, it's, I, I got to say, it's down to our, our 2020 challenge, that, that thing of writing every day. It made all the difference. I think I've mentioned this before because I, I finished the screenplay for the little people, felt a bit wiped out, and then the world turned on its head, which was even more bewildering. And then I found it very difficult to write. But then I, I, you know, using the 200 words a day thing, uh, just started getting into it. And so, um, yeah, it, it accelerated a big upward curve on the word count every day. And, uh, yeah, first draft finished yesterday. So I've put that away. I'm not going to look at it for a few weeks. I've got another couple of things I'm getting on with and we'll come back to it. But I'm, I'm in that, I'm in that sort of, I'm feeling bereft. It's a couple of days after and it's like, Oh, I can't go back to my happy place anymore. I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't play with those characters <laughs> or talk to those characters anymore. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird, uh, sensation. It's, it's a little bit happy, sad, but you know, very happy that I, I did that Is first it- draft in that, in that time. So. Yeah, you've done that. You've done a fair bit of acting in your time. Is it a bit like kind of when you finish a theatre production and you've had put all that yeah, effort in? Yeah, actually, kind of that's, yeah, a, that's that a very good anticlimax. Yeah, that's a good analogy because you're not going to be able to rehearse with those folks or get on stage and improvise with them or do all the fun stuff that you do. So it's, uh, yeah, I, but I, the good news is I, you know, second draft is on the horizon. I'll be coming back to them at some point and um i'll see them all again and and uh yeah it's it's been it's been really fun really really fun brilliant oh congratulations and it's so interesting to hear you talking about how the 200 word challenge gave you that momentum because that's something that i've discovered in actually analyzing a lot of statistics of people writing and 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 for people that don't know what the challenge is you basically have to write a minimum of 200 words a day and then you have to come to our website and actually submit your words to what we call the word bank and so I get to kind of look and analyze what happens with people like yourself, Mark, that have gone through this process and finished a book. And 
um, something called writer's momentum happens. Mm. And it, it, I can almost plot it to the day where the momentum of having done it for a certain number of days, the word count starts to just completely pick up. And we've got this beautiful upward trend in a kind of a race towards the end. And so if you want a bit of writer's momentum, if you're finding that your writing is stopping and starting and you can't seem to get underneath that book it's all about the consistency of writing so um, as we've said before pop along to the bxp challenge bxp2020.com and sign up it's a free challenge and you can start today and bank your first 200 words and maybe be like mr stay who knocked out a book in 64 days was it the 64 billion dollar man was that the show going all the way back was it 64 was that the magic number no it's a, it's, it's a six million dollar man um, oh, six million. <laughs> well it would be 64 million now though wouldn't it with inflation i guess yeah probably very, very, I, I doubt you can get his little toe for that these days but, um, <laughs> what was it he had a weird little eye thing going on i mean i had a little six billion dollar man did this, he have a weird eye yes he had he had a robotic this was my favorite show when i was a kid it was oh, it was one of the steve austin I, steve I, austin yeah, yeah that was him yeah, music play, played by lee majors yeah and it's um if i watch that the opening titles i get that malthusian rush of going back to being you know five six years old it's like oh it's a six billion dollar man uh it was great and it is it, one of those shows that had a great premise i i've watched a few since it doesn't really hold up. It's a bit slow. <laughs> There's an episode where he fights the, the, the a yeti, I think. You know, so it's um, a yeti. But you'll remember mm. that sound when he jumps. Yeah, when he jumped That's over a fence. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it was yeah. just, just oh my gosh. They've been trying Nostalgia. to. They've been trying to get a movie. I think Mark Wahlberg was attached, and it was going to be the Six Billion Dollar Man. And they they've been trying <laughs> to get that off the ground for years. Um, but yeah, it's um, oh, it's crack, cracking stuff. Great days. I remember those Saturday <laughs> afternoons. Airwolf, six million dollar man, Night Rider, the A Team. It, it was all, yeah, 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 all yeah. The good stuff. God, we could we could do a whole nostalgia show on that as well. <laughs> That's fantastic. So it's it's been an interesting. It's definitely been an interesting week. We've actually got some really exciting things happening right now with the bestseller academy that we announced Ooh. on our last show, yeah. and we are doing some webinars we're doing some webinars to talk a bit more about what we're up to because we've had so many questions from people asking well, actually the big question that keeps coming up is is it is it mentoring and coaching or is it like a an online course and what we've been saying to people is it's actually both because there's a lot of stuff out there which is uh, course-based you know it's like you, you you sign up and you get your videos and you do your self-study um, but there's not that much in the way of actually working on the inner game of writing which is a huge huge part actually of what we've been kind of doing on a podcast you know talking about the challenges of writing the voices in our head the self-critic um the editor the procrastinator um you know and and that person that watches netflix all the time researching their next book but never actually writing so one of the things that we've we've been explained to people is that the bestseller academy is about helping people get from the start of their book to the end of their book but not just it's not just about writing a book it's about writing the very best book that you can write in the next 12 months and i'm so excited about this because it takes everything that we've done on the podcast everything that's been happening on the bxp team and and taking it to such a deeper level and supporting people across that entire journey and um I've just got a feeling, Mark. I've got a feeling that we're going to get some incredible books coming out of the Academy over the next year. 
Yeah. It's exciting stuff. Exciting times. Absolutely. So if you're interested in finding out more about the Academy, what I would suggest is pop along to our website, bestsellerexperiment.com and sign up for one of the webinars. And by the time you hear this, there should be a timetable up of webinars that are running fairly frequently during the next couple of weeks because the deadline to sign up to the Academy is the 14th of August, 2020. And the actual first day of the Academy doors open on the 1st of September. So, you know, with summer coming up, if people have been thinking about what they're going to be doing for the next, you know, five months of this year, um, it's a really important step, I think, for a lot of people to kind of make a commitment to doing something, whether it's the BXP Challenge, the the, the Academy, um, so that they get the support that they need. Because well, as we're going to learn in today's interview, writing is a marathon. Writing a book is a marathon, and it's quite a incredibly difficult task, I think, to do on your own, as as I think we've all experienced in writing. Can you can you remember back, Mark, to when you first wrote your first book? And what that sense of overwhelm was of kind of having to do it on your own. I, I distinctly remember thinking, I don't think I know how to do this. <laughs> because exactly. we've all read books. We've all read books, devoured books. And certainly then I was, you know, one of those read a book a week kind of people. And you sit down, and you go, oh, just how do I structure a sentence? <laughs> just just how do I format dialogue? Just how to pick? So, you know, uh, it's um, I'd written plays. So structure, I was, you know, fairly in character, I was fairly solid on, but the, the, the prose kind of stuff. And yeah, there is a, there is a kind of, I do wish I'd had something like the Academy or just a group of people to talk to, you know, who to, to, to guide you because I, it's some, um, you, you just need a little reassurance that you're doing it right, you know, uh, or, some um, it comes of experience, but yeah, it's. I, I distinctly remember very much sitting there going, I have no idea if this is any good or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure exactly. that goes away, to be honest. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But I think you get more of a sense of being able to tackle that question quicker and move on from it. Yeah. The more you have to ask yourself that question yeah and actually very much part of what we're building in the academy is this idea of the community element so you're going to be meeting people who are very very like-minded individuals and it's a place for inspiring each other and sharing and giving each other really positive but critical feedback you know we don't want people to, to beat around the bush but the point is is that you'll get an opportunity to read other people's um, work in progress and 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 critique it, feedback on it, and at the same time they'll be reading yours. So it's a it's incredibly strong peer group that we're building as well, and I think that's huge because when you give each other permission to do that, that's super important. I think when you give it to a friend to read, is it's very hard because maybe the one they're not reading it like an author would read it, and two they might tell you what you want to hear, which is oh it's amazing, which isn't really very useful no, <laughs> unless not. it is amazing. But often we know you know there's always something we can improve on. So so the whole community and peer aspect of the Bestseller Academy is going to be huge, and we're gonna we're gonna be building some incredible resources for people to to gather all kinds of extra support in their group, whether it's finding beta readers, getting feedback on their plots, getting feedback on their first chapter or their opening page, a bit like the one page punch-ups. These types of things are invaluable for people to know that they are on track and to be encouraged to keep moving forward and fuel fuel people's fire because really that's the momentum. That's the thing that we see make people keep on going and push through those difficult days when they maybe don't feel like writing as well. 
Absolutely. Just a quick word on the one-page punch-ups. We haven't done any for a while, mostly because mm. a lot of editors have basically been on furlough, and those that haven't been on furlough have been doing the work of three or four people. So they've, uh, they've not really been available, but I'm hoping to uh, announce one quite soon. So uh, stay tuned for that if you're a Patreon chart topper supporter. Fantastic. Now, we have got some lovely social media which we're going to do some good news which we're going to do after today's interview but we're going to dive straight into today's interview which is with the most incredible writer sadie jones that you got to chat with mark this is great now sadie's debut novel the outcast it was listen to this i'm going to take a deep breath <gasps> shortlist of the 2008 orange prize it was radio Four book at bedtime it was a rich and judy book club title it was a sunday times number one bestseller it won best first novel in the costa book awards of 2008 it's translated into 12 languages, sold half a million copies and adapted into a bbc tv series <gasps> <laughs> which is which is incredible. Now, Sadie, we talk about her new novel, The Snakes, and you'll listen to this. You think, oh, this is great, great best-selling author. We're going to learn, blah, blah, blah. This is one of those interviews. That's, it starts out like any other, and then it gets more and more fascinating. And by the end, it's like, what? So I, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to Sadie. This is, this is really good fun. Brilliant stuff. So let's dive in with Mark chatting with the amazing Sadie Jones. Sadie, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, our absolute pleasure. Um, we're here to talk about your new novel, The Snakes, and also about your road to publication, which is absolutely fascinating to me. But I was I was looking up The Snakes before, uh, before the interview, and I saw uh, a note from Alice O'Keefe in the bookseller. Now, listeners, if you don't get the bookseller, I don't know Alice O'Keefe, her her opinion on a book can make or break you, basically. This is the bookseller, of course, is a trade magazine in the UK. Booksellers open it in their lunch break. They're looking for what's new, what's fascinating, what they should be getting into their bookshops. And uh, Alice said of The Snakes, she said, I was expecting this to be good. Now, if you just leave it there, I don't know about you, Sadie, I would have a minor heart attack thinking, <laughs> where is this Where is this going? Yeah, I did. Uh, but she, she finishes it and says, but I have to tell you, I was awestruck. I may not read a better book this year, and it's it's only February. So, Sadie, welcome to the podcast. And, and how does it feel when you get sort of vindication like that after all the work you put into something? Oh, it's such, it's, it's so odd because, I mean, it depends really where you are in the process when you... You know, if you have a book about to come out, like when I read that, I wanted to be thrilled and delighted, but I was really just so nervous. You have a sort of strange stage fright, but, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to make the book better or do anything about it. You're just sort of pushing it off. So um, I was thrilled, but also more worried because then what if no one else thought so? And you're in just such a strange state before a book comes out. And this is your fifth novel. Uh, and it, it's it starts in an Oxfam shop, uh, and if you start read, you know, the beginning of that, you think, okay, this is this is very grounded. It's very, you know, in the UK, but it takes us to some extraordinary places, doesn't it? Yes, it's. Um, I mean, it is a, a, a realistic novel, but it also because it deals with such huge things and deals with you know a death, a suspicious death, and things that don't happen to everybody in situations that are not common are in the story. So it does have a, you know, I wanted to, to start with that very, that very tiny reality in a way, because the book does certainly kind of head off in some big directions. Because there are big things, there are themes about what well, family is, is very big in this, but also money and what money can do to people and how it can change their attitudes and their lives. 
mostly for the worse, it seems. <laughs> um, uh, where did this? Where did this all come from? Well. I started writing it in 2016, which seemed, I'm mean, looking back now, seems sort of quite quaint and, and lovely. Um, but it was it was a sort of terrible year, and it was the it was the year of the Brexit referendum, and it was the year building up to Trump's election, and it seemed like all the news was concerning and bad. And living in London as I do, you know, being surrounded by this sort of hyper capitalism. Anyway, I was just in a state politically of sort of quite a lot of rage and anxiety and then turning that into a personal family story was really what I set out to do to work to to take all of these I didn't want to write a novel just of ideas I wanted to write something very personal so that that was really my starting point I was, I was going to say is that when you know you've got a good idea for a story when it when it's it puts a fire in your belly when it's driven by something like rage and anxiety is that what really drives your writing uh yes i'm not somebody who has ideally not rage and anxiety but usually (laughs) i'm not someone who has lots of ideas so i tend to become compelled and obsessed by one and you know it's a it's a marathon to write a book so you need something that has a big enough engine and you need to have enough reason to to put yourself through it and to sit there every day and kind of drag it out so yes it needs to be compelling what was it about the snakes that made you think okay there is enough of this for a novel we've spoken to writers here before where they they sometimes do you know they test something out with a short story or maybe a a character outline or they a sketch even Mm. What was it about the ideas and the snakes that made you think, okay, I'm going to commit months and months and months and tens of thousands of words to, to, to making this a full story? I'm always fascinated when how authors come to that decision. That's such a good question. I think I have a huge fear of it not having the legs, not having enough of an engine to, to be that. So I take a long time starting and I will... I sort of interview myself, really, about the characters and about the story. You know, who will this be? Where will that go? Until I've built up a sort of such a head of steam. And I do some structuring, quite a lot of structuring, which then usually changes in the writing and everything alters. But what I'm really just trying to do is sort of sort of rev the engine mm. so that it has enough power to, to do that. And, you know, occasionally things will die at that stage. You think, no, this isn't something I'm interested in, um, in in adding to or unraveling. Or when I ask those questions, I just come up against something flat. But the ideas that work are the ones that do then take on a life of their own. My need is to have enough life of its own that I'm, I then have the energy to write it. I love this idea that you're interviewing yourself. What's What's your process for that? How does that work? I suppose it's just trying to fool myself that it's not just me in the blank page, <laughs> which everyone <laughs> will always say is the most frightening thing. So I'll, I'll do, a, I mean, a number of things from doing, you know, silly lists of stuff to colored diagrams and timelines and um, little sort of Venn diagrams of feelings and anything to take it out of my own head. And the interviewing thing is really, you know, drama conflict, feelings, shapes and narratives all come out of a a dialogue. And when there's only you there, you then have to create the dialogue. So what I do is literally I'm staring at the blank thing and I'll say, well, what, what would she do then? 
and if she did that, then what might happen? And then once you've asked a question, then you have to have an answer of some kind, and and that will sort of disinhibit me or allow me to allow me to play, allow me to imagine. That's wonderful. So let's take a character like B in the snakes. Does she sort of coalesce into a human being, or does she arrive fully formed? She was quite hard work um, because she's headline good. <laughs> and um, <laughs> as, was it Tolstoy who said happiness writes white? Right, right. <laughs> and, and I think goodness can write white as well. You just can't take it off the page. So B, even though I could relate to almost everything she thought and said, to get her to come alive, and perhaps it's easier to have to create characters who are dissimilar to ourselves because you you automatically have to um to to build them and to make something other. But I often will have trouble with characters who are sort of quite you know natural and small and like me. And B was she took a lot of coaxing out. It was really finding her issues and her problems and finding out you know what would hurt her and what would scare her and finding her immense courage that she has to to be truthful and to be good which is really hard when you're being mocked and tormented by her horrible father and various things that happen Uh, you hear from actors they always prefer playing the villain because they can really go for it whereas playing the hero can be can be hard work can't it yeah yeah exactly and it's a subtler process and it those heroes they have they have a lot to lose so they keep up their defences. They work hard at being good, and it can be hard to get into them. Well, let's let's talk about heroes. Let's talk about your 15 years of rejection before you were published, because this is heroic. This is listeners to this. You know, we we have listeners who might get a couple of rejections and think, "Oh, that's it, I give up." But Sadie, you were writing for 15 as a uh, mostly as a screenwriter, mm-hmm. and you wrote a play. And you kept getting knocked back, but you kept going. What kept you going? I'd love, I'd love it to be heroic. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so good. It, it was more, um, it was reluctantly, really, because I was a huge drama queen about it, and <laughs> all of the rejections. You think, you know, this is the best thing I'll ever do, and no one will ever see it, and every, you know, you've been wronged, and it's cruel, and I think I. I, I wasn't very gracious about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look back, you know, I realized that I was learning how to tell stories and I was learning how to tell a good note from a bad note and how to really be grateful for, for criticism when it works. I would always think, oh, I'm never going to do this again. And I you know, go into a huge grief. It is a grief because you've made a thing up and you've loved it and you believed in it and it is the best you can do. But then, you know, it's Monday morning and you have another idea and you're at your desk and you just have to start up again. And once you love the idea, what can you do? You just have to put it down. Try Absolutely. Pick yourself up again, don't you? Yeah. Uh, In retrospect, are you happy that you were rejected back then? Yeah, I really am. When I see any, any success in a young person, but particularly in writers, I fear for them because... You know, talent is wonderful, but to learn on your own and to build up the defenses and the technique and the to get your toolbox. You know, I felt when my first novel was published, I was 39 or 40 and I I felt ill-equipped to deal with what I was going through. So I can only imagine if you're 22 what that must be like. 
Well, let's talk about your big debut. So we're, you know, 15 years of rejection. <laughs> it was actually nearer 20, I think. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you get, you're not only published, but listeners, pay attention for this. The Outcast was shortlisted for the Orange Prize. It was Radio 4 Book at Bedtime. It was a Richard and Judy Book Club title. It was a Costa Best First Novel Award winner. It was a Sunday Times number one bestseller, translated into 12 languages, over half a million copies sold, and adapted into a BBC TV series. (laughs) Now, for a lot of listeners, that will tick more than every box and ambition that they have for their novel. That I mean, you say you weren't prepared. I don't think anyone can be prepared for that, that kind of success with their first book, can they? What was it like? It was insane. Um, to say that it was surreal would be an understatement. It was, it was wonderful, but it it was it was just very very odd. And <laughs> what saved me really was that I was writing the second one already before the Outcast came out. So I had already won with being published. I had no expectations, and I think that that's the best situation that you can be in. Is not not thinking that anything will happen. I didn't, it didn't cross my mind, any of those things. I didn't know what time of year the awards were or what anything, you know, the publishers keep, they always say to you, oh, you know, they know it all. I didn't have any idea. It, it was all new to me, which was wonderful. Was there anything different about the Outcast to what you had written before? Because it started as a, a screenplay, didn't it? Yeah, it started as a screenplay and it had a huge life to it. And I was obsessed by it more than I had been by other things. Um, It felt very different. I had a really extraordinary feeling about it when I was writing it. And then having written the screenplay, I sent that to my agent, but it, it didn't feel finished or leave me alone. So while it was in development and trying to find a producer and trying to find a director. I was just writing the book sort of secretly, really, because I couldn't, I could, I was so embarrassed at sort of writing, you know, I thought, well, I'm just going to fail in another area now. <laughs> <laughs> this, was, this was my main thing was just, you know, don't tell anyone because it's enough. The, the film obviously just didn't come off and I finished the book and Literally, as I was finishing it, I had finished it. The producer who was trying to find a director and trying to raise the money called me and said, I, I just can't go on being a producer. This is too hard and I'm doing my own photocopying and I'm having a horrible time. I'm going to be a literary agent. And I was wondering if you had thought about writing The Outcast as a book. And I sort of had, I just said, well, I've, I've just, you know, that, that um, <laughs> the, the, the shot in Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the dolly zoom where it moves exactly. in and everything. Yes, dolly yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that, I said, well, I've just finished it actually. Um, so, and she went off to be a literary agent and took it and sold it to Chetto and it was um it, it was sort of a overnight twenty year overnight thing. <laughs> <laughs> what were the uh, what are the lessons that you've carried over from? screenwriting because screenwriting and novel writing we, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast but they're, they're two very different skill sets aren't they um they are uh i find i use things i learned writing for the screen to sort of temper and to control what i do when i'm writing a novel because writing the novel seems or feels writing prose is more about letting myself go and imagining and imagining and sort of improvising on the page 
and the screenplay was all about doing that for me was all about structure and restraint so i can apply the structure and restraint to the um the flow that is the prose that sounds really easy and like it it, it works but you know i think that being reductive that's sort of what happens i love this idea of improvising on the page uh, do you sort of free write do you just you know just get it down on the page and then go back and try and fix it later i oh yes i often will write with my eyes closed um, oh really <laughs> because i can touch type which is lucky from days supporting screenwriting with you know temping so i can i could often feel sort of awkward or embarrassed particularly if at the beginning of a book, when you you know, and you see your writing come back at you immediately, um, it's like sort of being filmed if you were acting and seeing yourself. So if I shut my eyes, then I have less of an idea what I'm doing with the sentences, and I can shut off the inner critic more easily. Wow! How long have you been doing that for? Is that a, a new development, or since you started writing novels, or was it something you did as a screenwriter? Oh, I th- I think it's something I started doing with novels I don't think I did it before I'm pretty sure I didn't do it before. <laughs> there's a lot more formatting there is screen. yes that's true yes if you start start getting it wrong on final draft you never no, know you where didn't. you're going to end up being it's very unforgiving but I do a similar thing in that I would let if it was a scene uh, a dialogue scene I would let the characters talk to one another mm-hmm. you know without any regard for it going on however many pages and then take it back after uh, just <laughs> to get the dialogue natural and get the life and energy into it that's um that's fascinating because it's it the the idea of improvisation because i've done a bit of acting and and uh, that thing of getting it the characters on their feet and chatting to each other mm. uh your mother was an actor wasn't she is that something you, you learned from her or yes she was um i did a drama a level at theater studies a level and i had this idea that i was an actor which i really am not at all <laughs> and I was really bad at it. And I hated doing it, but I loved the idea of doing it. But I did enjoy the not being on stage parts, what you're talking about, that, you know. <laughs> the, the rehearsal thing, process, the yeah. The rehearsing yeah. and the playing and the trust of it and not being yourself. You know, I loved all that. Your father was a writer as well and, a, you know, a successful screenwriter too. With a mother as an actor and a father as a writer, was it always destined that you would be in the creative arts or did you ever sort of want to rebel and just become a plumber or something? Well, they always want you to become a plumber because they know (laughs) unemployment rates and insecurity and all that. I didn't feel, I think as a family, we didn't really feel, you know, a part of anything. I never felt a part of in in that way. I look back and I realized that I was very lucky to have been exposed to the arts and theatre and books in the way that I was but I never I never it was never taken for granted that that would it was always just this is very hard to do and mm. you have to be mad to do it was more yes. the attitude which <laughs> I think is true yeah so, I think it is <laughs> uh, yeah now I see that it was lucky but I didn't in any way if anything you just try to block out your parents experience because they were quite daunting they had their young lives were were, were quite glamorous and um Knowing how hard it was, seeing how well they did and admiring them, I was more alarmed, I think, than wanting mm. to emulate or, or, you know, follow on. I was more pretending they hadn't, and I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back to uh, the snakes, 
it is there's a big theme of family dysfunction and you, you write so eloquently about it and it's very insightful is there ever a danger i mean this is a constant with any author though is there any danger that people think is that your family how, how do you cope with that thing do you get relatives ringing you up saying is that me <laughs> no no they haven't they don't um but i do I often get that, you know, at a, at a book event or something, people will be surprised that I'm quite cheery because a lot of my work <laughs> is quite dark. <laughs> and they're sort of, oh, we thought you'd be, you know, really melancholy. But I, I suppose you're, you know, you find that that's how you, that's, that's somewhere to put it, the melancholy and the, the darkness. Well, yes, as you were saying, you put all that anxiety and rage on the page, don't you? Yes. Wonderful stuff. What's next for you, Sadie? Because you, you know, you're not knocking out a book a year, are you? You, you? you take your time with these, don't you? Where are you with the next project? I'm. This one is coming really quickly. I tend ah, good. to. Um, I tend to to write sort of rebound books after the very dark and difficult snakes. I'm now writing something that's just a lovely world to the end. I'm having such a nice time, and I'm writing really quite fast. I'm writing sort of between two and 3,000 words a day and it's going really well and I've sort of got half a book already. So I'm hoping, touching wood, it will keep doing that. Wonderful stuff. Uh, well, we will all be looking forward to it. Uh, folks, The Snakes is available now in paperback wherever you buy books. Sadie Jones, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today and hope to speak to you again soon. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. A book is a marathon. Mm. There's just no other way of putting it, really. This, I, I'd say when Sadie said that, for me, the biggest learning since the beginning of this podcast, now four years nearly, Mark, we've been doing mm -hmm. this podcast, <laughs> the thing that hit me as a first-time author was this is a massive amount of dedication and a massive amount of work. Mm. And anyone who comes into writing a book thinking otherwise is in for a bit of a shock. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really nice for her to kind of – to kind of express that as well, because I know, I mean, and, and she puts in so much, so much time and effort and thought into her books that, um, yeah, it couldn't be more true. Really. Absolutely. I mean, a book is a marathon. A career is a ultra marathon. You know, this is, it's, it is, uh, yeah. it's you know, 15 years or more of rejection there, but never giving up, keeping going, never giving up. And it was interesting that she saw rejection as it, it gave her lessons. She learned from rejection. You know, she she learned not only how to tell stories from the feedback, but also how to tell a good note from a bad note, which is such an important lesson to learn and to build up your defenses and to, you know, to, to take each blow on the chin. And I think it was interesting, you know, she said she was 39 when her first novel was published. And even then she felt kind of ill-equipped for the success, but it's um. You know, for anyone out there getting rejections, and I still get rejections. I, a lot of published authors I know still get rejections. A lot of screen screenwriting is all about rejection. Uh, it's almost nothing but. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> you, you. You have to take each of those, you know, as a, as a lesson and learn from that, and and take it on board. And what I, what I found really interesting about her talking about screenwriting, what she learned from screenwriting, was restraint. This idea that because you're writing for other people, for actors on a stage or on, on a TV show, uh, you have to, you have to, you can't indulge yourself in the way that you can with a novel. But also, I do wonder, because she said the outcast, her smash hit debut novel, started out as a screenplay. And I do wonder if that's the thing. If, if we, when I'm writing more commercially 
for TV and film, when I'm writing for TV and film, do I think more commercially? You know, am I thinking I have to sell this? I have to sell this to someone who needs to spend half a million, four, five million pounds on this to make it happen. Is that something we should be thinking when we're writing novels, perhaps? I think so, because having I, that was the exact reason I tried and I'm currently finishing up my first screenplay is I wanted to learn about that idea of constraint. It's actually something I've come across a lot in music as well. When you actually, when you actually create constraints from the outset, it means you don't get so lost in all the infinite number of possibilities. So to create kind of, I love the idea with a screenplay that it's very much a, a, a you know, page you know, on this page, something has to happen specifically. And you've got, you know, if you're writing for a 45 minute show, you've got so many pages to write. I love the fact that constraints are created, but it also forces us to become very focused in how we write. And I, I've said this before, but I think it can only help people writing novels because you get snappy at dialogue. You learn everything you need. You can learn about dialogue when you're focusing on screenplays. And in terms of writing commercially, Again, it's like you're having to deliver it to a specific structure. And what's really important about that is, you know, I see some people, I know one person who's, who's up to 200,000 words on their book and they've built these, you know, massive worlds that just never end and they keep going. And it's to, and, and people sometimes need those those boundaries to say, stop, work within this space, be as creative as you can be within this box. You can still make it an incredibly amazing inside of a box. But I think it's, I think it, you know, and it also stops it from becoming a, a double marathon potentially when it doesn't need to be. That's so. great because the constraints with screenwriting, it's not so much it has to happen on this page, or, but you're right, the 45 pages for a TV show or 90 pages, 120 for, a, but it's also the thing of knowing that you are going to work with others and you have to play nicely with others. So just this week, we got feedback from our editor on the movie, The Little People. She's read the script, she's gone through it, and she sent a page of notes thank God it was only a page of notes where, where she's saying, suggesting changes. And they were without exception, all brilliant. It was just fantastic. When someone else comes on board and she says, you know what, we could say blah, blah, blah. And we just make these. And does this scene have to happen in this location? Could it happen here? And you're like, yeah, it really could. You know, and it's, it's that thing. I, I do try to, having been through it, you know, you try to write for the editor and director and actors in mind, but every time you'll learn something new and that thing of, of working with others and, and constraints in music as well is, is, is fascinating because I heard David Arnold interviewed, who's the great composer of a lot of Bond oh, themes yeah. and stuff. And he was talking about how now you've got all this amazing software. You can make it sound like you've got the London Symphony Orchestra in your, you know, on your laptop. But then he was talking about programs like um do you remember the tv show some mothers do other with michael crawford mm. right you mm -hmm. remember the song you mean <laughs> two recorders two recorders and i can that show i've been you know i haven't watched that show in years but i can remember it it's memorable because they did it with two recorders <laughs> Yeah. Right. There's one thing I teach my my music clients, which is if you want to write the most amazing melody, wrap your hand in like a boxer, right? Strap <laughs> your hand up like a boxer, but leave one finger yeah, yeah, free, yeah. and that's all you're allowed to use because people can only hum one note at a time. I mean, it it's it's huge. I think actually we, we're going to have to do something on this. There is actually some stuff about constraints to writing actually in the academy because it's such an important part of us not getting lost in amongst the jungle. 
Um, and another really good analogy of it is children. If you're as a parent, what people say is kids love boundaries. And when they start to go AWOL <laughs> and start going out of control, it's because they've crossed the boundary and they're running in this infinite land going, help, help. I don't know what to do. There's no boundaries. I don't know where the rules are. How do I, how do, how can I be good? How can I make a good decision? And so as a parent, when you make really strong boundaries and you say like, when you cross this line, you're losing your, your device for the day you know they they can they, they feel much happier being the, this side of the boundary the safe side of the boundary and it's the same for us as writers it's like we we, we need if we don't if we don't have a particular constraint like we get within a screenplay for example if we're writing a novel this is why we have to create our own constraints we have to say i'm going to write i'm going to aim for a seventy thousand word novel so you can like you've got a target you a goal you know where you're driving to you know when you reach your destination um and i don't think we can underestimate just how valuable this is and uh, yeah it's it's fascinating and i'm sure that must have helped sadie in her journey as well having had all that experience up front as a screenwriter absolutely and i mean just this is you know on this podcast so far writing advice film advice music and childcare. what other podcast gives you that eh? i hey what eh? and 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 a rendition <laughs> of some mothers do have i know uh, i just ha- live on the show the, you know oh, unplugged apologize for any distorted out of tune whistling <laughs> um here's the thing though here's the thing uh, sadie talking about writing with her eyes closed well, <laughs> eyes wide shut, right? I love this. This is this again. Four years of the podcast, we've never talked about. Well, this well, I, one of our one of the BXP team, Rachel House, she put a post where she was saying she lies back on the sofa with the laptop on her belly and just types away without looking at the screen. That's right. Which yes, you know, and we thought yes. at the time that's amazing, but um, you know, here we go. There's definitely got to be something in that because there is that Something's here and there is that tyranny of seeing the words on the screen or on the page or whatever and you think oh i've got to fill a page and sometimes it can you can be your own worst enemy it can slow you down you know you think oh gosh you know but yeah just write blind i i i've got a theory mark i've got a theory around another this. one <laughs> another one and i think i think i think i might be on something i have had this experience everyone's had this experience when they're in the shower and you Where just come it? up with great Where's ideas. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This could be one of those very, very broad shows. Um, you're in the shower and you come up with a great idea. And that might be a great idea for your book. It might be, in my case, it might be a million dollar idea that pops into my head every time I, I have a shower. So, but I, I, I was so fascinated by this. Like, why is it, what is it about the shower that, that stimulates creativity? And I researched it. And I discovered something called sensory deprivation. <laughs> so when you're in the shower, if you think about it, we've got our five senses. But when we're in the shower, our eyes are often closed because obviously there's water streaming down and we might have soap and shampoo. And so first of all, we're shutting down the sight sense that we have. And as a result, by reducing the amount of senses that we have open, and the other sense actually that's been affected in the shower is your hearing because it's a constant drumming sound, a bit like when you put a, ch- a young baby to sleep, you have that white noise, they call mm-hmm. it. You put white noise on at bed, so it's a constant noise. And the, the, the kind of torrential rain sound of the shower kind of shuts down in some ways our hearing sense because it's a constant noise, so we can't hear anything else. So two of our major senses have gone, and that's why our creativity, our imagination, absolutely takes off and i wonder if that's what's happening 
when Sadie, when Rachel, and I know loads of other people that are now going to write in saying, I do that too. Mm. I do that too. I write with my eyes shut. I think that's why people can get super creative when they close their eyes and almost imagine the movie in their head as they write. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Though I think you have much better water pressure than I do. Talking about because th- <laughs> if anyone in East Kent so much as turns on the tap, uh, ours just reduces to a dribble. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's true. That is there is that thing. It's just you know you, you're it's it's simply giving yourself space to step aside, isn't it? You know that uh, having that little yeah. moment. I a lot of people will say the same thing happens when they go for a walk. You know, it's that taking yourself out that mental space. And then yes. uh, allowing different synapses uh, to fire up. Yeah. So yeah, there's absolutely something in that. And I um, also wonder. I also wonder, Mark, I, if part of the challenge as well is when you're writing and you're in the flow of writing, when you're looking at the screen and you're watching the words being typed and you make a mistake, it stops yeah, you in your flow yeah. because you're like, oh, I've got. So there's there's all kinds of things visually that are happening when we're writing that intercept with the flow. So I, that's why I think everybody, and again, we do this on the academy. It, if you want to learn to touch type, join the academy because I'm doing a, a whole, a whole kind of masterclass on why touch typing is essential and, and, and a program you can start to actually do it because you can then try these things out. You can close your eyes and type. It's, it's very, very true. I, that is one of my big sort of, especially when I'm starting out first thing that if you write, if I write a you know, two lines and there's two spelling mistakes. It's it just, you start thinking, you know, you start thinking about the spelling rather than the words, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So yeah. there's a big mental block there. Just the last thing on, um, on Sadie, one of the things that she said, uh, she quoted, uh, uh, happiness writes white. And I, I nodded and murmured along like I, I knew what she was on about. <clears throat> and I didn't, I had to look it up. Uh, and it was, it's a quote by a French writer called Henri de Montholon. And the full quote is, happiness writes in white ink on a white page. Uh, and it's often quoted as happiness is white. I, I looked it up and there's various interpretations. Uh, but I like the one from Clive James the best, who, to paraphrase him, he said, basically, a lot of the best songs are about heartbreak. You know, you can't necessarily write about happiness because happiness, you know, is difficult to get on the page because it's such a blissful feeling. Whereas heartbreak and pain and agony and, and but also conflict as well. The idea that, you know, you have to write about difficult, tough things. Now, I'm not saying everyone should be writing miserable stuff, but I think you should be looking for the grit in your writing. That's something to, to think about. So if, if sometimes you're, you're stuck or you're, you're losing momentum, are you making it too easy for your protagonist? Are you making life? Are you testing them? Are you, you know, if you have an idea or a theme or something, are, are you prodding them with that theme? Are you, are you testing them to, to knock them down and make them get up again? And again, coming back to, to Sadie's own story, you know, each time she, re, she was reject, rejected, she dusted herself off and, and got up again. And I think that's the same thing we need to see happen with our characters. Brilliant. Excellent, excellent insight. Clive James. Oh, genius. He was brilliant, know, wasn't I he? Know. Absolutely Rest fantastic, man. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, Mark, I, there's been some exciting things going on with some of our patrons, our BXP team members in the last couple of weeks. This they? is wonderful. It's such good news. They, um, now Robin Sarty, who is a wonderful writer in her own right, uh, and she, she started her own publishing company, a Bellwood Publishing, okay? And she's got various books coming her way, but one of the first things she did was she did a Snow White 
anthology called A is for Apple. Tales from the Treehouse. A is for Apple, Snow White anthology. And she's gathered up a whole bunch of authors, including a number of the BXP team. So we've got Julian Barr writing in there. Uh, we've got J.W. Atkinson. We've got Mark Hood and Robin herself. They've, they've written stories with others as well with different takes on the Snow White story. And I've known this is coming because I edited a couple of stories in there as well, which is uh, a real joy. And, um, you know, so they've, they, they launched it last week. And guess what? Number one bestseller in children's folk tales and myths on on Amazon. So yeah, brilliant. Woo-hoo! So it's it's that's amazing. It's like Robin and the gang. You know that they it's they've they just shot to number one, and it not just in the US but in Canada and the UK, number one in various charts around the world. So huge congratulations to Robin and all the authors. There's uh, Phoenix Chow, uh, Julian Barr, J.W. Atkinson, Mark Hood, Marlene Simonet, and Robin Sarti. And uh, you know, if you're looking for great alternative fairy tales, these are just terrific. There's a real mix in there as well. A little bit of romance, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of, you know, a uh, little bit of uh, scary stuff as well. And they're, they're really mm. good, really well, good fun. So um, that's fantastic. A is for Apple. And I love the fact that it, A is for Apple. I love the fact that that book came about from mm. really from a group of people listening to this podcast that decided to get together and collaborate. And I think that's been done before once, isn't it? <laughs> but I, I like the fact that this could be the start of a whole new era of people on this podcast, bestseller experiment listeners, writers, uh, BXPT members, and Academy members getting together to create work together. Cause I, I, for one, I mean, I've always, I always, you know, I'm forever, um, grateful for all the experiences we went through writing that book together you only i mean you your growth as a writer is phenomenal when you write in a collaborative process and i i recommend it to everyone as part of your mix of being a writer it's not all about sitting in your room by yourself struggling over what you're going to write next like work with someone um find someone that you can you can get ideas with, write a short story and put out an anthology. So brilliant. Well done, Robin, for, for heading up that Just project. Just going back to our, our book, Back to Reality, um, if anyone's been watching the Glastonbury coverage on the BBC, so they, because obviously Glastonbury, 50 years sadly, was was called off. But um, they, the BBC were filming from the empty field with the skeletal pyramid stage and there are cows wandering around. And I people tweet me going, this is the end of your book. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> so, uh, so thanks for that. Thanks for everyone got in touch about that. No, no spoilers, of course. No, but if you, if you, if you, if you do like a bit of, um, if you do, are you missing festivals this year? Cause obviously they're all canceled. There's no better thing than to pick up back to reality. Cause it's, it's quite a beautiful escapism. And, um, a lot of the Glastonbury stuff that we, that was written about were, was actually pulled from, from actual personal experiences yes. I had. And some of them you're going to read and you're going to think, really? And I'm going to be saying, uh, yes, yeah. maybe not that one, but that one definitely, yeah. I can never tell you which ones. But honestly, it's uh, it might might fill that little void if you're feeling a bit sad that there's nothing happening musically Absolutely. outdoors in your life right now. What else is happening on social media well, this week? I was talking Mark? about how the 2020 challenge helped me. We had a tweet from Magpie at Midnight, who is at JasmineVal309. She says, I switched to writing a little bit every day after the bub was born, and now I've finished the first draft of my novel, got it printed as it felt like a moment. So she has, she's got it printed, it's got it ring bound, and she's got her novel there. So huge, huge congrats to you, Jasmine, on finishing your novel there. We love hearing that. Arthur Kunz uh, got in touch, who is one of our patrons as well. 
well, we should announce our patron, new patrons. Uh, he got in touch and he said, uh, I finished my first draft today. Uh, thank you very much for all the helpful and entertaining podcasts. Now I'm writing short stories to build my newsletter. And he says, listening to your last episode, I recognized a parallel between you and James Swallow. Getting yelled at Ben Aronovich seems to be very helpful. Naturally, I was wondering if there was a private session like that in the Bestseller Academy. Uh, <laughs> do, 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 I love do you think it. we could uh, we could get him on board for that? <laughs> could we get could we get Ben in to do a kind of uh, um, be yelled at by Ben session once a month? It, that could be brilliant. Like the Mon- that would be worth the price of entry alone. It's like it, the Mark? Monty Python. Ar- I've come for an argument, please. Uh, do you want uh, five minutes or the full <laughs> half hour? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, if you need if you need a bit of Ben's fire, I mean, we've been there. We can recreate that, Mark, couldn't we, if we had to? Oh, no, no one's like Ben. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it is. He's, he's definitely got the uh, the trademark on there. Yeah, yeah. But I do, I do think it's uh, – I mean, in joking aside, actually, to, to get critical feedback is absolutely essential. I mean, in how it's delivered, it, you know, obviously there's different ways of delivering it. But, you know, that's what we want to do in the Academy. We want people to – they, we want people to 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 you know if you get used to getting good you know good and and room for improvement feedback because that's how we grow yeah like what why why else would we want to get advice unless we would want to get something that we can grow from so absolutely um you'll be getting you'll be getting something like ben probably just not quite delivered in his style uh, we had a lovely email from edward beresford who says i've been listening to your podcast for three years i want to thank you for helping so many people improve their lives with writing in 2019 i wrote the first draft of my first novel dead trees under the name c M Black. Uh, it's a life goal achieved and it wouldn't have happened without your efforts. And he says, I'm very excited about finishing and editing and submitting Dead Trees during 2020 and starting my second CM Black novel in 2021. He says, also, has Mr. Vo read Atomic Habits by James Clear? Uh, so it's a short read and is also available on all Audible. Much of what he discusses on your podcast is developed in this book. Is that one you know, Atomic Habits? Is that one, is that one is, on your pile? Yeah. Oh. It is. I have three favorite books on habits and Atomic Habits is one of them. And uh, yeah, when you think about what the BXP 2020 challenge is, it's about building an atomic habit in writing. And as we're seeing with Ed, I mean, congratulations, Ed, on, on achieving a life goal. I love hearing that. I love hearing the it's words great. life goal achieved. Yeah, Isn't that brilliant? It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, absolutely worth checking out. We get a PS from Ed and he says, I enjoyed listening to Back to Reality and Audible. And my two-year-old daughter is a big fan of the very last monster books. Uh, remind us about that book, Mr. D. It's a very special book oh, indeed, isn't it? It's a very special book. It was a book that was written by my wife who passed away a couple of years ago. And she wrote it for our three children. And she left it She left it with me unpublished, just literally in words and illustrations. And we went ahead as a as a celebration of her life we went and actually published this book and it went to number one in canada in the book charts here we did a very uh, small small release in quotes i mean it was a number of thousand copies but it's been incredible getting the feedback from so many parents who have read this book and their kids the, the feedback i keep getting is it's the book the kids keep on wanting to read every single night <laughs> um i just poor parents right i mean we all know those books but the kids love it and it's it's so nice to know that that book is out there 
sitting on kids' shelves, being read at night by parents um, and the people that send me photos and videos of them reading it to their kids. It just, it's beautiful. It's like a connection to Jen's life and something I'm forever grateful for. And actually we do have copies. We've had a, a you know, another print run of the hardback done. So you can go to um, lastmonsters.com if you have a child between the ages of like two and probably seven or eight, I'd say. Um, pick up a copy of it because it's it's a very very special book and uh love love to hear that feedback from ed thank you so much for letting me know about that ed that's uh warmed my heart today i would say it's for children between the ages of two and 47 because i i've got it I, well i love it uh, <laughs> uh folks we'll have a link for that in the show notes as well uh so do check that out and uh lastly we had a note from steve gowland who's been a regular if you follow the hashtag uh bxp 2020 he's been putting his work out up there regularly and he he said i've written three books 300,000 words in 18 months. This absolutely would not have happened without bestseller experiment. They will help you to be the writer you want to be. Uh, check out their new academy. Uh, so thanks so much for that, Steve. We really, really appreciate it. Very, very kind words indeed. Wonderful. And, Thank you so and much. And last but by no means least, we, we do have new patrons. If you want to check us out on Patreon, it does make all the difference uh, to keeping this show going. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, please be upstanding and raise your glasses. For previously mentioned Mr. Arthur Coons, uh, to Brooke Lang and to Sitsi Shulk. Thank you all of you for your ongoing support. It really means the world to us and uh, it means the podcast can keep going out every week so uh, thank you so much for that folks absolutely and if you'd like to join those folks in supporting this podcast just pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and get lots and lots of free goodies and if you are curious interested excited about joining an incredible bestseller academy pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy there are limited spaces available folks it's a first come first serve application process so get your applications in now don't don't hold back and don't wait to the last minute because we can't guarantee that there will be space so bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy and read all about it and sign up for one of our webinars and listen to mark and i go really deep in what we're actually creating for all of you lovely folks out there wonderful stuff come and find us on social media if you've got any questions about the academy or anything indeed or if you just want to celebrate your successes or need some advice uh we're on facebook at bestseller experiment twitter and instagram is at bestseller xp or come and drop us a line uh, there's a contact uh, drop down box on bestsellerexperiment.com brilliant mr stay have a fantastic writing week congratulations on finishing yet another book thank you sir oh my gosh keeps on rocking and rolling mm. and we look forward to celebrating your successes in our next episode so join us then and until then everyone have an amazing writing week so it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye goodbye, goodbye.